Start over. I'm just kidding. It, hey, you ever have somebody walk up to you and go, how you doing? And your answer is supposed to be, you guys should know this now. It's the second time we've been over it. Fine. And then a real good friend might say to you, no, seriously, how are you doing? And then you go, you really want to know? You ever have that? You really want to know? And then what do you say after that? You say, well, yeah, yes, you really want to know. But then, then they say, well, tell me how you're doing. And then you say, well, um, it's been hard. And then you fill in the blank. Uh, I'm going through this. I'm sick. Somebody I love is really, really sick, has cancer, or I'm forgetting things, and that really bothers me, and I'm worried about that. Or, or uh, you know, what, what, uh, what is it that you would say if you really were with a real good friend who you really trusted, and they really wanted to know, how are you doing? And they had time, and you were alone, and you could really say, you know, I trust this person to tell you, what, what problem would you tell them? What difficulty would you explain to them? If they really cared and they wanted to pray for you, what is it that you would say? You could put in that place, you could put this thing we're calling suffering. Now we know that this is week number nine in a series on the teaching from 1 Peter on how Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was preparing the, the elect exiles, if you will, about how to prepare for persecution, which is an intense kind of trouble. Persecution, I think we would agree, is a really serious and intense kind of trouble. Anything that you and I might be suffering might be something less than overt, life-threatening persecution. And so I want to tell you that because as we approach God's Word today, and as we study this passage in 1 Peter, you should probably put in there whatever that thing is that you're wrestling with right now, that thing that you're dealing with right now. And this is week number nine in, in this series. And would I shock you if I were to say to you that times of suffering can be good times? Would it shock you if I said times of suffering can be good times? My message today is from 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're all going to cover verses 1 through 6. And I'm calling this message when suffering is a good time. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you are going to have to convince me of that. So I want to show you from the scriptures here five different things that can make a suffering time good. Number one, suffering is a good time. A time of suffering is a good time to talk about Jesus and to think about Jesus and to think like Jesus. Suffering times are good times to think about Jesus and to think like Jesus. Notice our text. First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Since therefore Christ, had, he, Peter had referred to Jesus suffering in the text that we just finished last week. He said, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And it is what it appears to be. The arming there is like, this is, the, this is how you prepare yourself for this battle. And the, the Christian's battle is where? In the, in the mind. It's about the way you think. And he says, when you're suffering, it's a good time to think about Jesus. And to think the way Jesus thought. His way of thinking. Have you ever had this experience where you have this, 
you know, I had an intense pain one time. I didn't know what it was. I thought my foot was out of joint. I don't want to bore you with my medical history, but I thought my foot was out of joint. It hurt so bad. I realized it was one of my early attacks of gout. And have I mentioned before it's really painful? I may have mentioned that to you. It's so painful. It's worse than childbirth, I'm sure. <laughs> so painful. So painful. I'm kidding, ladies. All the ladies just like, okay, I'm done listening to that man right now. No more. I, I didn't mean that. I was just being funny. But, but here's the thing. I, I've seen a woman in childbirth, and, and you know, the natural thing for a believing woman is to go, help me, Jesus. Am I right? And that's what I was doing. Like, Lord, what is this pain? And then I remembered sitting in Moody, and I remember at Moody Bible Institute, in the, and I remember a teacher coming to chapel and talking about the society of his feelings, the fellowship of his suffering. There's a sense in which it really helps us when we're hurting to think about Jesus who really hurt. I'm not sure I can explain it, but I know I've experienced it. Suffering is not a good time, but it's a good time to think about Jesus. And it's a good time to think like Jesus. How would Jesus have me think about this? It's a good thing. It's therapeutic. It's helpful. And can I say this? Isn't anything that makes us think about Jesus a good thing? I know you got to think about it. Is anything that makes us treasure Jesus, is, there's good in it. Anything that makes us think about Jesus, there's good in it. Anything that makes us admire Jesus, there's good in it. And so because suffering does that, that's what Peter is saying. You can expect good from this. You're going to suffer, think about Jesus, and think like Jesus. That's one. Here, there are five. Here's the number one. Here's the number two. Suffering times are good times to fight sin. Suffering, times of suffering are good times to fight sin. Now, you may, when you suffer, turn away from God. You may, when you suffer, rebel against God. Peter's talking to the faithful here. People who know the Lord, people who have Christ in them, people who have the Spirit in them, tend to lean into God when they are suffering, and they tend to lean away from sin when they're suffering. This is what he's saying in the second phrase of verse 1, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Or I think, I think the idea here is those who are faithful, devout believers, that suffering has the effect on them that it helps them to fight against sin. I was going through a difficulty in my life. It was a misunderstanding with a close family member. And, and I was uh, kind of having that conversation you have with the Lord. Do you have these? It's not a real conversation like he says something and you verbally hear him. But it's like you think something and you imagine what he would say based on what you know about the Bible. You know, you're a Christian. You know what I'm talking about. So I'm walking up north. I'm speaking at a camp. And I'm feeling very sad. And I'm feeling very frustrated. I'm feeling very hurt. I'm feeling misunderstood. And I don't think it's fair. And I, there's a close family member that I love very much. I don't want to be, have a misalignment with them. And I'm just walking and I'm complaining to God. And I said, oh, Lord, why, Lord, would you let this happen? Why would you let this person misunderstand me? And, and of course, I didn't hear a voice. But it was walking up there. I was speaking at a camp up far enough north where the birches start to show up. You know, some white birches, a beautiful as walking along that morning, as this, the Lord says, you really do seek me when this happens to you, don't you? I'm like, yeah. And you confess sin, don't you? Yeah, I do. I'm like, God, is anything wrong in my life? Then this is a good thing. So, no, it's not right. It's a misunderstanding, but I'm using it for good. Sin, times of suffering are good times for us to fight sin. That's why it says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I wish it were not true. 
but I have known both the thrill of uh, the 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 thrill of victory and uh, the agony. <laughs> are you with me? Have you felt the agony of spiritual defeat? Have you have, have, have you had any spiritual successes? Have you had any wins? Have you had times when you overcame? Uh, a, dif- a spiritual difficulty or sin problem. You ha- you have some ex- I hope you have some experience with that. I do. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm, you, as you know, I'm kind of outgoing, so I tell people things. And so sometimes I tell, I told once about a great victory that I had in my life. It was a profound. I had a number of them. It was just a profound victory, if you will. So I was asked to speak about it. Here's the raw truth, though. Before I went to speak about it, I also had a agony of defeat moment I'm like well now I got to go speak about this thing that I've had the thrill of victory in but I've also known the ow oh. so you know what I did I just went it was a men's conference I said gentlemen I'm the thrill of victory guy and I've been asked to tell you about the victory that I had and I also want to tell you about the agony of defeat are you with me on this Am I alone? Am I the only person that's had the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat in their spiritual life as they fight against sin? I don't think I am. I think we're together on this. And if you're here and you're thinking, pastors are those guys that don't have the agony of defeat, then you are like, you need to hang around more because that's just not true. There are no Christians that don't experience the agony of defeat, except Jesus didn't. And so his defeat is a great victory. And so times of suffering, times of difficulty, times of hardship, times of misunderstanding, times of things we don't like are good times for us to think about Jesus and to think like Jesus. And those same times are also times for us to fight against sin. I was going to a hospital call one morning. It was super early in the morning. When I have a hospital call super early in the morning, I wake up even earlier because I'm always afraid I'm not going to wake up. Are you with me? So I'm like, four o'clock in the morning. I have a six o'clock. I'm awake at four o'clock. I start up. There's a little bit of a drive. It's winter. It's snowing really hard. I think I got to get out, warm up the car. I need to get to this hospital call. It was up in Dearborn, five o'clock. I thought, man, this is just brutal. And, and I also kind of thought a lot of the women in the church, a lot of the men in the church, they get up at this time every morning and they get in their car and they warm up and they go off to work. And today is an unusual day. Normally I'm like banker's hours. So there's that, right? That morning, I was uh, clean eating. Have you ever done this? You're like, you don't do that very often. Right, but I was trying. I've tried this many times. So I was trying to eat clean, trying to eat lean, trying to eat less food, trying to eat better food. <laughs> this is the story of my life. Anyway, that morning, I'm like, I'm going to eat what right today. I'm going to, you know, oatmeal and stuff like that. But I had to get past Krispy Kreme first. Like, I knew that on that road, on the way to the hospital, was a Krispy Kreme. I'm like, not a problem. At 4 in the morning, that place is no way going to be open. All the way, I kept thinking, it'll be closed. It won't be a problem. And if it is open, the light won't be on. Because you know how Krispy Kreme works, right? If the light's on, they give you a free donut, which is a diabolical scheme from hell. And, and so I'm like, it won't be open. Guess what? It was open. Guess what? Oh, Yeah. The light was on, but I'm like, I know what I can do. I know what I can do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to drive in. I'm going to take a photograph of the light, put it on my Instagram, tell people I didn't have a free donut. You know, if I can't at least have the donut, I can indulge in some piety, you know, some pseudo-piety. So I, I see it. This truly, truly happened. I had extra time. So I pull into Krispy Kreme. I get out. No kidding. The snow's just blowing down. It's just blowing. And it's cold. I take a picture of the light. 
and I'm having fun thinking about this Instagram post. I didn't eat the free donut, you know. And then I decided I'd spin around the outside. It was snowing really hard. There was a foot of snow in the parking lot. What I didn't see was that there was a divider there when you go around. And I slammed my car into the divider, and my tire went flat. I know you think I'm making this up, but I don't make this kind of stuff up. My tire is flat. I started to drive. I'm like, what happened? I broke my axle. What happened? Well, I didn't realize it was just my tire just went immediately flat. So I pulled my car over, and it was just bitter cold. It wasn't just snowing. It was like bitter cold. Now, I'm hungry. I didn't eat a donut, even though the light was on. It's bitter cold. I'm thinking, I, I got road service. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to change this myself. I, call, I called road service. I thought, I'm going to go in, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, but doggone it, I am not going to eat a donut <laughs> because I'm going to eat clean today. And I, I made up my mind, I don't care if they give me the free donut, I'm not, I'm not, and so sure enough, I walk in, they're like smiling girl standing there with this like oozing donut, like here, it's free. I'm like, no. I said, get thee behind me, Satan, I said in my mind. And I said, no, thank you. I'm just going to get a cup of coffee. So I go up and you know me, I'm always got to tell my story. So I'm like, man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. I get at the counter. You wouldn't believe what happened. And they go, what happened? I go, I was going to take a picture of that. Ran in and take my car. They go, oh, poor you. Let me give you a free donut. And she <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. So I do get the coffee. I don't eat a donut. I sit down. I'm like, I'm not going to eat a donut. I'm not going to eat a donut. And, and I look up there and I see this guy walk in. He's a huge guy. He's like six, five, big old dude, monster of a man. He's kind of wearing tactical gear. He's got a belt. He's got a stuff hanging off of his belt. Big dude. He walks up. And when he turns, I realize there's a word on his back. And you know what the word is, right? Police. And I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. Police donut. Get it? Like, big <laughs> police guy is getting a donut. I'm like, that's great. Then I thought to myself, Instagram. I got to get a picture of this guy. Police officer eating a donut. So I take my, <laughs> take my phone out, and I raise it up, and it's almost like he knew. He just turns and looks at me real serious. I'm like, I put my phone down. <laughs> Hello, sir. You know, thank you for your service. Like, enjoy your donut. Uh, wish I could eat a donut today. <laughs> so my tire is flat. I've, I've, I've turned down two donuts. I've been threatened by the police. My getaway car has a flat tire. I'm feeling kind of owly. The fight, I'm just saying, the fight against sin is hard, <laughs> but usually it isn't funny. My, my son, Daniel, is, when I frequently mention him as a police officer, told me, you know, I'll call him and he'll say, how you doing? Fine. And if I press, he gives me detail about things he's been through. And a lot of times those are just scary. And he told me that he had gone uh, pursuing a guy and that the guy had fled from him and he was hiding in some bushes in a field and he knew he kind of knew he was there and so Daniel alone went across this open field to get to this guy Daniel has three little boys at home and I, I always kind of wish he'd do something else because it's such a dangerous job and uh, he walked across this open field to get to this guy and uh, in the mercy of God he, he, when he found the guy the guy was armed and he didn't shoot him over this whole time. He was exposed walking across an open field. That's a little bit, it's, the fight against sin isn't, isn't a Christian cream story. It's a, fight against sin is a life and death story. This is what we, we need to understand. That's why in the text here it says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Like this is, there's people want to hurt you. This isn't funny. This is serious. The fight against sin is very serious. He suffered the flesh has ceased from sin. 
so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions or indulging in sinful human passions is the idea. So how can suffering be a good time? Well, suffering times can be good times if we think about Jesus and if we think like Jesus. And suffering times can be good times if we take sin very seriously and if we fight against sin. I read often the Puritans. They, the Puritans had a, they, had, they wrote rich, rich things that were laden with Scripture, and they had a powerful experience with God. And it's interesting because as moderns, our tendency as pastors and Christian writers and stuff is to lean toward therapeutic stuff. You know, tell people, we do this a lot. All of us do. I do. We want people to have better lives. We want them to have happier marriages. We want to have good parenting experiences. We tend to take the Bible and we tend to look at the therapeutic stuff. The, the Puritans weren't so much like that. The Puritans used lots of scripture and they, and they talked about the fight against sin and they, they painted it in vivid colors. You, you get, you get uh, uh, titles of books like by John Owen, The Mortification of Sin. That's the popular title in his day, How to Kill Sin. You You get, like, um, I think about Thomas Brooks wrote an amazing book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Many Devices. That wouldn't probably sell in a modern bookstore. Satan's Many Devices. Or I think about that huge tome by William Gurnall, the Puritan, called The Christian in Complete Armor. Here's what I'm getting at. Those that have walked faithfully with God over the years, those who know God, those who have a deep, rich experience in walking with God, take sin very seriously. It's warfare to them. They understand, they see that the Bible is written that way. We need to see that. If we will live victorious lives, we need to recognize, maybe God has allowed some difficulty to come into my life because he's doing a greater thing. He's teaching me to resist sin and to fight against evil. And, to be, and, and, and maybe the thing that I'm going to sacrifice is worth sacrificing because of the thing that I'm going to gain in being a person that fights evil in my own life. And so there's that. Now there's a third thing. Suffering times can be good times if we think about Jesus and if we think like Jesus, if we fight against sin. And third, suffering times can be good times to learn to love God's will. God's will is contrasted here with the indulgence, sinful indulgence of the human flesh. And you see this in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, and there are a lot of references to time in these short six verses, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. He's going to say it again, but it's almost like, you know your old life, you just indulged yourself in sinful passion. The stuff you want to do that was sinful, you did. But for the will of God. So one way to describe a a victorious Christian life, a meaningful Christian life, a flourishing Christian life is this. These are the people who love to do what God wants. They don't just indulge their flesh. They do what God wants. They love God's will. Christian teacher once told me a profound thing. God's will is exactly what all of us would choose if we knew the future like God does. God's will is exactly what we would want with the, every fiber of our being if we could see the world the way God sees the world. Sometimes a young person, somebody says, you need to do God's will, and the young person is like, no, no, I have plans. I don't want to do what God says. But wait, if you knew God and you knew the future, you would know his plans are the best. Now, how do I learn to love God's will? Ah, 
Here's how you learn to love God's will. Suffer. Going through hardship causes us to recognize how empty fleshly indulgence is and how wonderful God's will is. Helps us to be the kind of people that understand God's will is exactly what I would choose if I knew the future. I have mentioned it to you before, but it was a profound experience for me. There was a time of suffering for me, a hardship, a difficulty, something I didn't like that I was going through. It was open-ended and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I wanted God to show me what to do. But it felt like God was just saying, tell me you'll just do whatever I say. And I would, I would commend this to you. When you get into that situation where you're under the pressure and you don't know what the future is going to be like, just say to God, let your will be done and not mine. That's what Jesus did. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's what Jesus said. Jesus' will was, was, human will was not to go to the cross. Let this cup pass from me, he said. God's will was to send an angel to comfort him and send him to the cross. And God will send us to the cross. It's not, not initially sounds, doesn't sound fun. But it is a way for us to learn to love that God's will. Aren't you glad Jesus went to the cross? Aren't you, can I just say, aren't you grateful that Jesus went to the cross? Are there any Christians in the house today? I'm, I'm grateful. I'll give him praise. I'll give him thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, even though it wasn't your human will, but it was God's will, and you yielded to God's will. And God make us people that yield to God's will. How do we become people who yield to God's will? We go through suffering faithfully, and that's how we become people who love God's will. Isn't that interesting? The greatest pleasure on earth is not doing what you want to do. It's doing what God wants you to do. The greatest adventure on earth is not doing what you've always wanted to do. The greatest adventure on earth is doing what God wants you to do. He knows the future, and he's infinitely good, and you're not. Hey, listen, let me give you an investment tip that will always pay. The greatest investment in the world it's not to invest in what you want to invest in, but it's to invest in what God wants you to invest in. He knows the future. He knows in the end what's going to be worthy. And so the greatest pleasure and the greatest adventure and the greatest investment are doing God's will. Then we should say, God, I just want to do your will. And then, but God, I am so willful. I'm so selfish. I'm so confused. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll put some hurt in your life, and then you will seek me. Like, I'll take your stuff away until you just have me. I'll take your church away until you just have me. That's what happened to me. I'm a pastor, man. I've been a pastor since I preached since I was 14, pastor since 17. God took my church away. I was like, what? And Jesus is like, am I enough for you if you don't have a church? Will you be the greeter at Walmart and do it with joy? Will you witness to people even if they don't pay you for it? The answer has to be, whatever you say, God, whatever you say. You know, that was my experience. That was my testimony. You, you might be a young woman, and you might think, I don't even know any men that are the kind of men that would both capture my heart and help me follow Jesus. I don't even know any guys like that. Well, trust God that his will for you is better than your own. And don't indulge in your own will. Young man might say, I know what I want to do in life. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to do, and I don't want anybody. I don't want God getting in my way. God, if you want to come and help me, you can help me, but don't get in my way. Right? That's the youthful thing. I would say, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go through some suffering now. You're going to, 
You're going to blow a knee out. You're going to have a problem. You're going to have a girl break up with you. You're going to have a, because God is so faithful to you. He's good to you. He's going to say, no, I'm going to take your idols away from you so that you will say, God, whatever you say, that's what I want. And so I don't know what it is for you or what's going on in your life, but I would say this. God's will is what you want to want. And the way to want God's will is to make your way faithfully through suffering. And so suffering times can be good times if they help us think about Jesus and help us think like Jesus and if they help us to fight against sin and if they help us to learn to do God's will and suffering times can be good times number four to turn away from past sin and shame and start building a new life this is rich look in verse three for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do and remember how in the Bible Gentiles is often used as a placeholder for just like lascivious sinful wicked people not that all Gentiles are but Maybe most of them have been, right? So that's why it says it that way. The time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatries. With respect to this, they were surprised when you would not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Now, what is that all about? (laughs) That's a mouthful, isn't it? Said, that's what your life was like before. What did you live for? It's the same song, second verse. It never, it, it, over the centuries, it's still uh, idolatry, adultery, drunkenness, orgies, partying, godless partying, carrying on. It's the same old, same old. It's like there aren't any, it's, it's not a new thing. It's just a new version of an old thing. You choose that. And that was your old life. And enough for that. That's what he's, he's saying. Enough of that. Eddie Beasley's recovering from illness today. And Eddie will tell his testimony. And it's a beautiful, it's sad and happy. It's, he walked, he didn't always walk with the Lord as he should have, and he knows it. And he will tell you this. He will say, and I have his permission to tell this. And, and, and he said it was around Christmas time when his life just fell apart because he didn't follow the Lord. And he's heard God say to him, have you, maybe you heard Eddie tell this, have you had enough yet? And that's not what I thought about my friend Eddie when I read this. Enough of that. I've had enough of that. Listen, sin is only pleasurable for a season. It will catch up to you. Then you'll sin more and you'll sin worse with greater intensity and greater sadness and greater judgment. And after a while, it's like, I am so sick of this thing I loved at one time. I am sick of this. Enough of this. No more. I'm going to turn from that. I want a new life. And that's what... Peter's saying, you guys don't really want to go back to your old life, do you? You want to stay. You want a new life. And he described the old life, and and that implied the new life. And he says, and of course, they're going to mock you verbally. They malign you if you don't join them. And it's pretty interesting use of the language here in a flood of debauchery. I like the way the biblical authors talk about sin. They don't candy it up, do they? It's a flood of debauchery is what it is. Like, we're not allowed to say that anymore. Oh, that behavior, that's debauchery. Oh, no, man. we're supposed to speak in therapeutic terms about it. It's not the Bible doesn't do that. It's like, that's the flood of debauchery, and they're going to malign you if you don't join them. Don't be surprised by that. It's gonna be part of the suffering is people are going to talk, they're going to talk bad about you, they're going to talk bad to you if you don't join them in their sin. That's the new life, what it looks like, and we should desire this new life and build a testimony. Had a guy worked at Lowe's, and he was a rough guy. I mean, rough. Really profane tongue. 
been through some bad stuff, wrestled with some bad, didn't wrestle very hard, indulged in some bad stuff. He was like a DJ at clubs where homosexuals gathered, just like some dark things. And uh, he worked with all these Christians at Lowe's. And these Christians kept inviting him to church. And he's like, I don't do church and I don't like churchy people. That's what he said. I don't do church and I don't like churchy people at all. But, they, they, but he told me later, he said, but they were so nice to me. After a while, I just decided this can't be real. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm sure they're hypocrites. I'm sure they're hypocrites. And I, it literally said, so I am going to, and there's something in him, you know, I think even a person that isn't walking with God and thinks and has had encounters with hypocrites, which we all have, still harbors this little hope that maybe that gospel message is true. And that's the way it was with this guy. So he went to church. I was there. Showed up on communion Sunday. And he eventually, he came to follow the Lord. Eventually I baptized him, his wife, his daughters. He's been to our church here a number of times. He's a dear friend. But here's what he said to me. He goes, when I, when I came there, I knew the churchy people were hypocrites. And he was right. There were a bunch of us there. that <laughs> were sometimes hypocrites. He goes, I knew the churchy people were hypocrites. But he goes, I saw one of your ushers was Gary. And he said, what? He said, I kept my eye on him because I knew Gary. <clears throat> Gary was bad drunk drugs man he was we were in the same parties he said i remember one time gary got so drunk that you know there was nothing we could do for him we just rolled him under a bush and we left him overnight that was the same guy that's your usher every week here what dennison though is that gary said one time his drug dealer was down south past our church he would drive past our church to get drugs and he was smoking drugs with the drug dealer one day and they were out of paper and the drug dealer said let's use bible and Gary had an experience as a child where he'd gone on a church bus and they gave him a Bible and he just thought, that doesn't seem right at all. And so his heart was burdened about that and as he's driving back past our church, he decided he would stop. His life completely changed. And to this day, Gary walks with the Lord. And Dennis could not deny the new life that Gary had. He'd seen the old life, he'd seen the new life. Now, does that excite anybody here? That excites me. When I just think about God, only God can take a person who has totally blown up their life and completely transformed their life and give them a completely new life without guilt, without shame, without remorse, with confidence in the future, with hope in God, a, a good husband, a great dad. I sat in Gary's house with him when he was praying for his boy. His name was Austin. And, he, and Austin was going to play football. Austin was a big, stout kid. He was going to play football. And Gary asked me to come over and talk with him at his house. And Gary's lip was trembling when he said, Pastor, I need your counsel. My boy's really good at football, but I'm afraid it will take him away from God. What should I do? I don't want it to take him away from God. And I remember thinking, wow, what a sweet spirit that guy had that he loved his boy and didn't want anything to take him away from God. And he was seeking counsel about that. I'm, I'm here to tell you, as any real believer can, that you are a mess. And as they say, a damned mess. And I don't use the term as a cuss word. But when Jesus comes in, he can give us a new life. And sometimes it takes a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of suffering 
for us to recognize that suffering times are good times to turn away from our past sin and our shame and build a new life and help us to hate our sin. Here's number five, and there are only five today. Here's number five. Suffering times, not only are they good times to think about Jesus and like Jesus, times to fight sin, times to learn to love God's will, times to turn from sin and build a new life, but also, and this is one of my favorite themes to return to, and I must because it's right here in the text, they're good times to share that life with others. In my family, there's a thing. It's kind of cute. Most of my life, I've preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three times a week, three full preparations. I have it easy here. I preach once a week. And unless anybody wants to come around tonight, I'll preach. But anyway, um, you're like, not me, no. Uh, anyway, three times a week. So a lot of times the kids would say, do you have to preach tonight? Do you have to preach tonight? Or, or they would say, do you have to preach this week? And my answer was always the same, kind of obnoxious. I would always say, I never, I never have to preach. I always get to preach. I never have to preach. I always get to preach. I was talking to my mom on the phone. She said something like that. And I said, Mom, Mom, I never have to preach. I get to preach. She says, where do you think you learned that? I go, oh, that's right. I learned that from you. Mom would always say that. You don't have to do this. You get to do that. That's a mom. Isn't that a mom thing? You don't have to do this. You get to do it. Can I tell you something? You don't have to witness. You get to witness. Girl bought our car. It was, a, our, we had a little car that was, that was, that it was an inheritance to us. And it just sat in our, in our driveway for, for like a year. And, and we didn't drive it really. It was a nice little car. It was real clean inside and out. It was great transportation. That price of used cars kept going up and up and up. That was quite enjoyable. And we're like, yeah, that's getting, it's, it, like, it, it gained $1,500 in value just sitting in our driveway over the last year. And we decided that we would sell it. And so uh, a single mom came and bought our car. A real sweet girl, had two little kids, a single mom, came and bought our car. I was finding myself going, Jesus, please don't ever let this car break down, ever. <laughs> like, help it to run forever and ever. And when she came, I wasn't there. I had taken care of the wholesale, and I had, she'd come over one, and she test drove it, and my, my heart kind of went out to her, and I kept finding out, God, please help this car be a good, good value and let it run forever for this poor single girl. And Lois told me this story about when she came to get it. She said the girl came to get it, and her kids were with her. And she says when she got the car, she said, isn't this a nice car? And the kids were going, it's beautiful inside and out. It's such a nice car. She said, now you're not going to be ashamed when I pick you up from school, are you? And then she drove away, and I thought, man, that was fun. We made money, but we, it was so fun to see her get a nice car. And that's just a car. And cars get old, and they all wear out eventually. But guess what we get to do? We get to tell people how they can spend eternity in heaven. I was at the dentist with Lois, and, the, and I always witness our visit with the lady that checks us out, and the lady says to me, you know who you remind me of? <laughs> this is not her finest hour. She says, you remind me of Penn Gillette. And I don't consider myself a handsome man. To be honest with you, I consider myself handsomer than Penn Gillette. <laughs> so when she said that, I'm like, are you serious? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, and I went out, I said, Lois, do I look like Penn Jillette? And she's like, no, you're handsomer than him. I thank you. I'm like, man. I thought two things. One, I, I really do believe I'm handsomer than Penn Jillette, but maybe not. Um, and if he were here, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? I'd be like, hey, sorry. 
Second thing was, I remember a video of Penn Gillette. You know, he's a uh, magician. Did you know that? You can look this up. Matter of fact, I put it on my Facebook, so don't watch it now. Um, but he, <laughs> he did a video, Penn Gillette. He was in Vegas. He's a Vegas performer. And he was doing his m- magic show. And the guy came up to him afterward and gave him a Gideon New Testament. And said to him, did you, I want you to know that I really appreciated what you did tonight. It was very interesting, very entertaining. It was very complimentary. And he said to him, I want you to understand that you could have eternal life. If you read this book and you do what it says, you can, you can avoid going to, to hell forever and you can have eternal life. Pendulet said, I am an atheist. I'm an outspoken atheist, he said. But he said, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll read this. He said, I looked it back up and I read it. He said, if you really believe that a person who rejects Jesus will go to hell forever, how much would you have to hate them not to warn them about that? And he further said, I am an atheist, but I don't respect people who don't proselytize, he said. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? Listen to this text. Verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They have to face God. And for this is why the gospel was preached, like we herald the gospel, even to those who are dead. In other words, the people that we preached to them before they died. That though judge in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God alone does. They can have eternal life. Like God has life, they can have life. So they face God or they have life. Now, I know you're thinking, that seems heavy, right? It seems like a lot. It seems like too much. How do I save people? How, how do I convert people? You, you don't. You, you, you dutifully, you obediently, you do good works in Jesus' name. You love them. You pray for them. You love them. You invite them. Yesterday morning in the, in the elders' meeting, one of the, I won't embarrass him, but one of the elders goes, I got a plague story. I'm like, plague means in our, in our church, pray, love, invite, gospel conversation, and, and tell the story. He goes, I got a plague story. And he enthusiastically told a story about his efforts to see a person he loves come to follow Jesus. We don't have a happy ending on that story yet. We don't have a baptism yet. But maybe someday we will. But you see, it's in the pursuit of that that there's great joy for us. We don't have to. We get to. That's what we do here. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we do all that we do. And listen, here's what. I want to give you a true confession. My temptation is to let my plague stories get too far apart and want my life to be kind of Ken's little kingdom out on Bittersweet Farm where he sits on a porch and he listens to birds' songs and he watches his football games and nobody messes with him and he's happy and, e- and his life is a life of ease. And sometimes that's not, that's a, a fleshly indulgence. That's not God's will. It, I'm just confessing. So, so when that happens to me, I ask myself these questions. Maybe they'll help you. I ask myself these questions. Who am I praying for? How am I loving them? When was the last time I invited someone? By the way, the answer to that, I think, was, well, it was this morning, about 4.30. But, but, but at the time I wrote this, it was Friday morning, because, John, I want to tell you this. this you, can we talk just you and me? John, Rocky, had breakfast. This will be humorous to you. I think we had breakfast Thursday morning. And the omelet was so good, I decided Friday morning I'd have another one. <laughs> 
so I get in the car, I drive over to the same restaurant, and I look, and there's that little car, and I'm like, that's embarrassing. Like, John is here on Friday morning. Sorry to out you. John is here on Friday morning, and it would be so embarrassing for me to go to the same restaurant two days in a row, and John would see me. So now I'm confessing it publicly. So I go to another restaurant where it makes me think about a guy. And on the way, I think about, I love that guy, but I, I, I go, I'm going to text him and say, hey, can I buy you breakfast? And he, he says, I, I got responsibilities, I'll take a rain check. But I, but I invited somebody. See what I'm saying? Church, we should call ourselves Baptists because there's such joy in it. Well, there's so much at stake. They face God or they go to eternity. It would be easy for me to, to let myself get derailed on Ken's little bittersweet farm paradise where nobody messes with him. It would be easy for me to get involved in something petty and that didn't really matter. Little fusses, you know. But there's this big thing. We got to tell people about Jesus. And that, I think that's what Peter is saying to people. You're going to suffer, but you can still tell people about Jesus. And then if you told people about Jesus while you're suffering, it would make a bad thing a good thing, wouldn't it? Then suffering would be really a good thing. When was my last stand-up gospel conversation? When was my last sit-down gospel conversation? What have I done to get better at gospel conversation? How have I imagined how I can show people the way to God, to heaven, to rescue people from suffering? Our grandkids called Aiden and Bella, they're the ones that live out. Their last name is Long. They're the ones that live out in Oregon. The house next door burned to the ground a couple of months ago. The kids can't get it out of their mind. Happened in the middle of the night. The neighbor came desperately over in their night clothes and pounded on the door. The house burned to the ground. The kids can't stop talking about it. They keep saying the house burned. They're little tiny kids, and they keep saying, the fire, the fire, the fire. Bella, I don't think, has gone and slept in her own room since then. The fire, mommy, the fire, the fire. They can't get it out of their minds. They can't stop thinking about it. So to end on a sweet note, remember that we don't have to, we get to. And when hardship is in our life, it can, it can, it can bring us good things. Like it can remind us to look to Jesus and to think about Jesus and to think like Jesus. It can remind us, it can help us fight sin. It can help us learn to do the will of God. It can help us turn away from past sin and build a new life without any shame in it. And it can remind us to share life with other people. So that's how a time of suffering can be a good time. Pastor Leo, come and...